Welcome from whenever and wherever you're watching. We are glad to have you here. Uh, just a couple things as we begin. We are still currently doing 9 a.m. services live, but the 9 a.m. service is message only. A couple people have asked why we are doing that at 9 a.m. and not a normal service time. Well, we're doing 9 a.m. because it's not a normal service time. And when we go back to having normal service times, there'll be normal service time. So there you go. That's why we're doing 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning if you want to come. Uh, we are... Mostly social distance as we do that. We are just reading the scriptures, going through the message, uh, asking questions of one another, and kind of doing a little bit different than a normal Sunday morning would be, more like a Bible study, but you're welcome to come to that. Again, remember, in the middle of this message, I'm going to put up a slide with a question on it, and that question is going to give you time to pause the live stream, take care of your kids if you need to, get a cup of coffee, maybe even journal an answer to the question, and then we will just kind of keep going from there. If you have a smart device, you can download this app. It is called Uversion. You can click on More and then Events in Uversion, and we should come up by GPS in your phone or your smart device if you're in our local area. If not, type in the zip code 93455, and you will get the sermon notes, announcements, verses, uh, questions, really everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element, and if you'd be so inclined, you could stand where you are for the reading of God's Word. And this is Acts 27, verses 9 through 11 and it says this since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over Paul advised them saying sirs I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss not only of the cargo and of the ship but also of our lives but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said let's pray Uh, Father, we ask that you would today take us and teach us to understand better who you are and what you have done in the world and that we would trust you over and above everything that comes our way that wants to toss us around the things that we just don't understand in our lives. And we would walk forward as a people who fully listen to you because we trust you. Amen. Amen. Okay, so where we are is Acts Part 2, this is where we've been for most of the year, and if you feel like we've been in it a really long time, well, we're almost to the end. we got two chapters left, and we were at the end of the book. Now, we did slow down the last couple of weeks, looking at some different things that Luke talked about and showed us with the Apostle Paul, where he trusts Jesus, the message of the gospel, before Paul is now sent off to Rome. And today, what we'll see is Paul actually heads on that journey going to the city of Rome. But it's not without difficulty, and it's not without hardship, because eventually what happens today ends up in a shipwreck. I mean, seriously, just think about this. Jesus comes to Paul, and he says, Paul, you are going to testify about me in the city of Rome. So Paul's like, great. The next thing that happened is Paul sits in jail for two years. And then after the two years is up, and he finally gets on the way to Rome, he's going to end up in a shipwreck, in the open sea, get stuck on some island in the middle of nowhere, and he will still eventually go to Rome. What you have to see is it seems like nothing worked easy for Paul, which means we shouldn't expect easy all the time in our lives either. For an early reader of the book of Acts, when you saw Paul get to Jerusalem and go through these trials, most of them would probably be shocked that he then went on further to to Rome because they thought his life was looking just like Jesus' where Jesus' life ended in death in Jerusalem. Paul actually got to live. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. 
And when I say that, what I mean by that is Jesus went on a journey. Uh, He eventually arrives in Jerusalem. So did Paul. Jesus is picked up by the Jewish authorities and handed over to the Roman authorities. So was Paul. Jesus was interrogated by a Roman governor and then brought before Herod Antipas, a Jewish royalty. So was Paul. Paul was interrogated by two Roman governors. Not that you're trying to get a hierarchy of who got interrogated by more governors, but he is then also brought before Herod Agrippa. Jesus is sent to his death, but Paul miraculously is then sent to Rome, or rather sent off on a ship to sea. Now, I titled this message, Knowing Who to Listen To. And I think that's really important for the culture we are in today with all the stuff about COVID going on, because a lot of us right now are very unsure. There's a lot of fearful things that are taking place. And I think Luke writes what he does here in Acts to help us to understand that God is in control, even when we don't know what is really happening. And I kind of want to walk through that with you, a proper understanding of who Jesus is so we would listen to him. Acts 27, starting in verse 1, says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. I think that this guy's nickname should have been Orange, like Orange Julius. That's like 80s mall humor for you. Well, whatever. Uh, These centurions were a group of people that they would use to make sure grain got to Rome and prisoners got to Rome. That's what that cohort did. So uh, verse 2. And embarking on a ship of Adramidium, and that's not Wolverine's bones. That's like the city where it was from, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Now I'm going to bring you up a map. And I'm going to get you to see kind of how the journey went along. So this is how it goes. The next day we put in at Sidon. So they start in Caesarea, then they go to Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So this is now a larger ship than the one they started on. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. The sea is actually silent. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassia. Since much time had passed and the voyage is now dangerous because even the fast was already over, and the fast refers to Yom Kippur, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So that's another 40 miles from where they are. And what I want to show you is why I think Luke talks about this sea voyage the way that he does. What you have to understand is that the Jewish people were never a seafaring people. Uh, They were fishermen, yes, but not really seafaring. Whenever you look at the disciples on the Sea of Galilee and the storms come up, they freak out all the time because they're not a seafaring people. Uh, You would have the Egyptians to the Jewish people south, the Phoenicians to the north, uh, the Greeks who were all on the sea constantly. 
And all these people on the sea, even they were there, they still had these superstitions about what the sea held. The Greco-Roman Empire had their god Poseidon. The Romans would actually call him Neptune. But they all feared what would happen in the sea because even the stories about Poseidon, he's just a crazy god that didn't like anybody. And so there's all these cultures who had all these views of what the water held because you couldn't see to the bottom of the waters and what is taking place under there and something could come out and get you. Many of these cultures believed that the earth was actually surrounded by waters and it teemed with evil forces that wanted to come and get you. And this is why in the scriptures God is constantly reminding his people that how he created the world is different than how everybody else says. Psalm 27 or Job 26 verse 7 says, he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. God says, no, you're not surrounded by waters. You are surrounded by space. But all of these ideas still had an influence upon Israel. The primordial waters that are scary, the sea creatures that could come and get you these sinister spiritual forces. The water had personality, it brought fear, it raged, it rebelled. And people all over the ancient world felt this way. And this is why God constantly is coming and reminding his people to trust in him, to listen to what he says no matter what their fears say. In Psalm 77, verse 16, it says, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. That's an interesting verse because it says that God doesn't tremble when he's around the waters. The waters tremble when they're near God. And you see this a lot in the Old Testament, how the waters convulse around God. They, they withdraw when God is around because God is greater than all of those primordial waters. In Genesis chapter 1, what does God do? God pulls the water off the land so his people have a place to live. When his, when his promised people are going to the promised land, they're going across the Jordan River. What does God do? He parts the water of the Jordan River so his people walk across on dry land. In the Exodus, God takes his people down to the Red Sea. What does he do? He parts the sea so his people walk across on dry land. These are the ideas that God owns the waters, that God treads on the deep, that God silences the waters. All the things that we so often are afraid of, God says you don't need to be afraid of. You just need to simply trust. Trust me. Job 38 verses 8 through 11 says, Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud ways be stayed. Who's the only one that gets to say to the sea, Stop, and it actually stops? Who obeys the voice of God? The raging waters do. Psalm 65, verses 6 and 7. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. This is God that steps into the things that we are so afraid of and stills them and says, I am in control. You can trust me, which means we need to listen to God and the things that he says in our lives. Now, if you have a Bible, uh, stay in Acts, but flip over to Matthew chapter 14. What we need to understand is that God, when He speaks in the Scriptures, it's to show us that He is above all things. And that creation is not bound by the whims of the scary waters. It's that the waters are controlled by God and His voice, and His people have nothing to fear. Like if you go to the ocean and you scream at the waves to stop, your feet will get wet. God says stop, and either they get out of His way or He just walks across them. But you have all these fears in the mindset of all these people in Jesus and Paul's day. Many of Jesus' own 
disciples seem to be very superstitious. You see this whole story where Jesus walks to his disciples on the water and they freak out. It's in the middle of a storm. But this story is told in John, Mark, and Matthew because it is that important. So in Matthew 14, Jesus comes and steps into their superstition. He has just fed 5,000 people with a, with a couple loaves and a couple fish, and now he walks on the water, and they think it's a horrible ghost rising up out of the primordial waters to come and get them. The disciples will cry out in fear. Matthew 14, verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Again, that crazy sea ghost has risen out of the water, to come and get them. It's like the Princess Bride, the Dread Pirate Roberts is here for your souls. It's that kind of thing. But it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. And when Jesus walks on the water, it shows that the water is beneath him. Uh, Sandy, the lady who does our slide, says, of course it's beneath him. He's walking on it. And no, no, I said, no, I mean he's above the waters, which is the same thing. Uh, he's more powerful than the waters. That, that one works better. But you know what I'm saying. He is above the waters. In the Old Testament, you see God tread on on the waters. Job 9 verse 8, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Habakkuk 3:15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. And in a Hebrew mindset, that would refer to literal waters and spiritual waters in their mindset. And here, Jesus is emulating God Almighty by walking on the water. His disciples freak out, and what does Jesus say to them? He says, he says, take care, take heart. This means don't be afraid. I know you're afraid. Don't be afraid. It is I. And the words, it is I, that is ego ami. It's the words that you see when God says his name is I am. It's those words. Ego ami. Jesus says, I am. He takes the name of God for himself. Interesting side note, when the soldiers go to arrest Jesus after Judas betrays him, they walk up and they say, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus says, I am. And they all fall on the ground. It's kind of like Jesus just flexes a little bit. But in here, Matthew is showing Jesus' victory over hostile waters. And as soon as Jesus says, like, take heart, it's I, you don't need to be afraid, Peter says, well, then can I walk on the water? Can, will you tell me to come to you? And Jesus is like, let's go. And so Peter gets up out of the boat, walks on the water, and when he's focused on Jesus, when he is listening to him, where that, where his, where his life is focused, he walks on the water. But as soon as he starts looking around at all the things that he is afraid of, he starts to sink again. When he stops listening to Jesus and starts listening to his fears, he begins to sink. But what does Jesus do? Jesus walks over and grabs his hand and pulls him out of the water. He rescues Peter from those deep waters. In the Old Testament, the same thing is said of of God. You will see in Psalm 18, verse 16, it says, He sent, that's the word for reached, from on high. He took me and drew me out of many, that's the word for deep waters. Jesus will then get in the boat. He will calm the storm. That's not a coincidence. Uh, in, In the Gospel of Mark, there's this storm and Jesus is asleep in the front of this boat. And all the disciples are like, the storm, it's going to get us. Don't you care if we die? And they wake Jesus up. And Mark 4.39 says, He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. The word rebuke there is the same word that is used when Jesus cast demons out of people. Rebuked. He rebuked the winds. It literally means to shut up. There's like all these fears that's overtaking his disciples. And what does Jesus do? He's like, stop with the fear. You need to trust so he tells the wind and the waves, stop it, knock it off. And what do they do? They listen to him. Do the disciples listen to him all the time? No. But the wind and the waves, all the things that we so are afraid of, 
obey and listen to him. Mark 4.41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is very important for understanding who Jesus is and how he speaks into our places of fear. Again, think about COVID. We have this virus. A lot of people are very afraid of it because we don't know what to do. But who is the one who is in control of all things in the world? Jesus. We should not be those who let our fear run us. We should be those who let the gospel of Jesus Christ steer us back into his arms so we can trust him in the midst of what we go through. Again, for the pagans and the Jews, the sea is a monster. But God keeps reminding them, I am the one who made it just like I made everything else in the world. It is mine. It is mine. You can trust me. But that fear still prevailed in it. In the book of Daniel, in Daniel 7, uh, Daniel has a central vision describing the history of God's people. And it talks about these different nations that will, will arise and how they will then go away. But he describes them as monsters that come up out of the sea. You look at the book of Jonah, he gets swallowed by a big fish in the middle of a big storm. And this translates then into how the Jewish people understood storms and the sea and and all of that. Now for Paul, he might not have had all of those same fears. I I doubt that he did, but they were very strong in in Paul's day. And Luke, when he starts this way, talking about how this voyage starts with all of these winds and waves and these scary things, it's this premonition of these storms. And it's supposed to, I think, speak to a reminder of why God is in control and how God is moving Paul to some place to take him through these scary things. But God's going to get him where he needs to go, and we should listen and trust him. God speaks, everything obeys him. And again, we don't know if Paul had this fear, but we know that Paul was a seasoned sea traveler. Paul is someone who would hop on and off ships and watch cargo get loaded and unloaded. We are told in the book of 2 Corinthians, which we'll look at in just a moment, that, that Paul had been shipwrecked no less than three times. I would think if you've been shipwrecked three times, you should find a different mode of travel. At one time, he is in the open sea for a night and a day, like Titanic, Jack, hanging on to a door. Like, Jack, that's Paul. There's all kinds of things that we hear that happen in Paul's life that don't get written about. I'd really like to know know the stories. But Paul most likely lived in this in-between stage, knowing that the sea was potentially a great enemy, but also knowing all enemies had been defeated by Jesus. So here's my question we're going to put on a slide for you right now. And you can pause if you need to and answer the question, take care of your kids, get coffee. Uh, I'm going to ask the question and keep going. So if you don't want to pause, we're just going to keep going. But this is my question. What things in your life really hold no power, but you act like they hold power over you? Like what things are you still superstitious of in your life? That's my question. All right, so moving on. Because of Paul's experience, Paul sees these signs around him. And this is why he says, verse 10, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now, we are told this happens after the fast. The fast is Yom Kippur. That date will change year to year. And this year, most likely, Yom Kippur was the early part of October. Now, we are told, uh, if you read different accounts of what happens in this area and with these storms, that it is very dangerous to, sell, to, to sail the way that Paul was going any time after September 14th. And they said it's actually impossible after November 11th. So Paul sees this, and he's like, we, we really shouldn't be doing this. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what 
what Paul said, meaning no one listened. Like, who are they listening to? Well, they're not listening to Paul. They probably thought Paul was some superstitious Jew who didn't know anything about the sea. Even though, if you want to talk about superstition, the captain of the ship and the Roman centurion both probably sacrificed animals to Poseidon or Neptune before they even got on this ship. So, they got a lot of superstition. Okay, so Acts 27, verse 13. We keep going. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. Now, you're from Santa Maria, and you understand what this is like. We get these windy days, but in the morning, oh, it's so nice. Maybe it's not going to be so bad. And you go out to start to do something, and then this tempestuous wind just takes off. It's the Santa Maria wind. It came and got them. Verse 15. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship, meaning they tied the ship together so it wouldn't break apart. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the citrus, and that is some sandbars down by Cyrene on the, on the farther part there, uh, they lowered the gear trying to make the boat lighter, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now, how does this relate to us? Well, I think we're people who are right now caught in this storm that seems to be we're just driven along in front of it. We didn't know COVID was going to last this long. We didn't know all these things were going to happen. And many people feel like all our hope of being saved is being abandoned. And this is why it's important for us to understand who we're listening to in the midst of what takes place in our lives. Do we trust what God has said that he has us, that he is in control, and he will use all things for his glory and our good? So this is what happens. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, What's his inspiring speech? Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. <laughs> you just got to love Paul, right? Uh, he's been saved. God loves him. But he's just got that personality. That's right there. Verse 22. He says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. Take heart. It is I. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. And again, this goes almost to like Jesus' words, take heart, it is I, you can trust me. Jesus being in control, even in the midst of the ship running out of control. Who are they going to listen to? Their own fears or what God has said to the apostle Paul? And just as Jesus stood with Paul two years before his journey, he sends a messenger to Paul in this place to strengthen not just him, but every single person on the ship. Now, one commentator talks about how Paul's journey here is almost the antithesis to what happens in the book of Jonah. Like, God gives Jonah a call. Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, got it. Hops on a ship and goes the other direction. And it's actually the direction that Paul is going to get to Rome. That's where Jonah runs to. And a storm in the same area catches him. And it starts tossing this boat all over, and the sailors on Jonah's boat are tossing the cargo overboard. And Jonah doesn't really say anything until like the end of that first chapter about what's going on. You look at what happens with the Apostle Paul, though. Paul isn't running from God. 
Paul is going exactly where God calls him to go. The storm hits. They start jettisoning cargo, just like the story of Jonah. But instead, what happens is that Paul speaks about what God is doing and brings great hope to these people. He says, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. This is a group of sailors who are most likely very pagan, who believed in many gods, and their gods were capricious and crazy all of the time. But Paul says, the God I serve is personal and full of love and grace. He tells him that this messenger of God has reminded Paul that he must indeed stand before Caesar. And that's what this entire voyage is about. It's not getting the grain to Rome. It's about getting Paul to Rome. And they're going to be shipwrecked on some island. Paul doesn't know which island it is, but he says, it's going to be okay. Because God has promised me that I'm going to be okay, and you're going to be okay. And I think next week we'll walk through some things where you begin to see where I think they start to listen and trust and and believe Paul a bit. But I think it's part of his lifestyle of trusting who God is because through all of this, Paul listens to who God is and what God has said. That's the voice Paul listens to. You have a Bible. I want you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what you see with Paul's vision here, when the angel speaks to him, is it kind of is a turning point for the sea voyage, because up to this point, it's stormy and crazy. The ship is going down in the darkness, and now Paul is sharing some light. Uh, N.T. Wright says, albeit a light visible only to faith. But Paul and all these people are going to go down one more time into the open seas. This is the process he describes in, in 2 Corinthians. But I want you to see how listening to God changed Paul's attitude of why he went down and how he went down and how he sees the whole experience after it because of who he listens to. Now, th- this is long, so bear with me through it. But this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And this is what Paul says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We can't affect the seas, but God can. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. I think that's an important thing for us to hear. Perplexed, why is this thing going on? But not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised Jesus, the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Meaning no matter what happens in our lives, how this shipwreck turns out, how COVID turns out, we will still go to the presence of God and we can trust him in that. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction of shipwrecks and COVID is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, that means temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's how the message of the gospel works through us and goes forward, no matter what our situation that we are in. You see that God is powerful enough to take on all the things that we fear because He does not fear them. They can all do their worst to us. 
And yet, as we follow Jesus and trust his words, we walk forward in obedience to the calling that he has given us. Flip two chapters over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Paul then says this, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, I would say uh, pandemics and shipwrecks, right? Verse 6, By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as un known and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul, by listening to what God did to rescue and save him, can say these things and no matter what situation he finds himself in, the cross, the gospel, is what enables Paul to say these things even in what's happening in Acts right now. Today, there are a lot of people that teach you that once you believe in Jesus, everything just gets better. Uh, it's smooth sailing. That's my axe pun right there. Uh, looking at Paul, though, through Acts, you must see that when we consider things blessed and smooth sailing, Paul would consider things blessed that God takes into new places to speak about the gospel. When we take up our cross and walk with Him, typically things are not easy. And we have to understand that if if the gospel is about the cross and the resurrection, the cross is the death of the only sinless one who's ever lived. It is God's only son, the only one who fully and completely uh, brought glory to the Father. It means that hardship, because Jesus goes to the cross, hardship's going to be part of our lives as well. One person writes this, If the crucified and risen Messiah means anything at all, it means that those who carry the cross will have it branded into their own souls. Because the storms do not mean that the journey is futile. It does not mean that God is not in control. One writer says it's actually part of Jesus claiming the world as his own, that the powers of the world will do their best to resist, but they will not prevail. We are called to be a people who listen to God and the things that he has said in the midst of our trials, if our trials are to have any lasting benefit to ourselves or the world around us. Because there are times that everything in our world are going to scream at us that life is out of control. That, you know, nothing good can come from this. Nothing good can come from COVID or this pandemic. The seas and the waters are going to overwhelm you. But we must ask who we will listen to in the midst of all of our moments, especially those with the loudest waves. And do you know that in the scriptures we are promised that one day everything... When I say everything, I mean everything will return and sing of its deep joy in God himself. That is all of creation. It is trees, rocks, fields, streams, rivers, viruses, oceans. When Jesus sets everything in the earth right forever. Psalm 98 verse 7 says, let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and all those dwell in it. Let them roar. Let them. Because one day, even the sea monsters themselves are going to join in that song of celebration. Psalm 148, verses 7 to 13. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Really? Well, what else? Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things. I don't like spiders, but apparently creeping things. And flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven." 
Guys, we must remember what Paul knew, and that is who Jesus was and who Jesus is. God in the flesh who has preserved the world, keeping all of the evil forces at bay that we are so afraid of. And this is one of the most important revelations in the Bible and in all of human history, who Jesus is. He is the incarnate God in the flesh, the perfect revelation of God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Meaning, in the past, people got glimpses of God, and usually mediated through a priest or a burning bush or a pillar of fire. But now, Jesus comes. And there is nothing that keeps us from seeing the whole glory of who God is. There's nothing that separates us from Him. Jesus was and is God on display. And when God's glory shines, Jesus is that shine. And when God loves, Jesus is that love. And when we see God face to face, we will see Jesus. Because He is the image of God and the truth of God and the Word of God. And He is God revealed in human flesh. And we can trust Him. Because He walks on the waters. He walks on the seas. He calls us back to Himself and we listen to His voice. In John 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, will you show us the Father? And Jesus says, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I mean, this is how it all comes together. Acting on what we believe. You look at how Paul lived in the midst of this storm. Do we believe who Jesus revealed himself to be? The only way that Paul goes through everything that he went through and still speaks about how the gospel is this great, glorious, wonderful, good news is if he trusted who Jesus is and was. And do we then trust who Jesus says he is and was? Not do we say it out loud to other people, but do we actually believe it? Because when we believe it, we'll begin to live differently. We will live in ways that actually listen to Him in the midst of our trials and our ultimate shipwrecks. Because when we act on it, I guarantee you, you will feel the waters rise. You will fear, feel these fears that, that so freak you out sometimes rear their ugly head. But in those times, we walk forward, listening to Jesus, trusting Him. Is our faith in Jesus such that we understand that Jesus has already redeemed us? And though viruses can rage and the sea can yell and toss us around and leave us adrift, none of those things can ever actually destroy us. Do we live in great faith in who He is? And my encouragement for you today is that you would live and walk in a faith, knowing that if you didn't matter to Jesus, you wouldn't even be here. But we do matter to Him. We are called to be His children, and we can have great hope in His person. This is why it's so imperative that we have a true picture of who Jesus is and not a false one. Because if we have a true picture, that means we can listen to Him in the midst of wherever we are, the things that He has spoken. Throughout the Bible, you will see people who don't trust who God said He is. It starts all the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve, and the serpent's able to convince them that God was not who He had shown Himself to be. And I will say for us, we can't have a faith relationship with the God we don't trust. And this is why when Jesus shows up, it's God's way of blowing apart all the false images of Him that we have set up. Because our whole world today, it is caught in a storm in more ways than one. And we as a people must have faith in who Jesus truly is, so we represent who He is to the world. So we are a people who speak about Him in ways that shows that He is above all things. And yes, sometimes things are scary for us, but we don't need to be afraid of all of these things. 
And in the midst of our fears, we don't have to get our eyes off of who Jesus is. We can actually focus more upon who he is and trust him more in those things that bring us great fear. That we could be a people of great hope because we understand who Jesus truly is. And I think that is why Paul could go through the things that he did with hope and joy on the other hand. Just to come out on the other side of this by trusting in who he is. You know, this is one of the reasons that element that we always talk about this reminder that Jesus says about joining together in this thing called communion. Communion is what Jesus says you do in remembrance of me. Remember that God who stilled the roaring seas came to us in the person of Christ to rescue us from our own sins, from all the things that we have done to rebel against God in order to bring us back into relationship with God again. And if you are so inclined wherever you are, you can even do that at home. You can take a piece of bread or a cracker and break it or grape juice or some wine to represent his body which was broken and his blood that was shed. So we remember what he did to rescue us. The God of the entire universe came and took care of our sin problem himself. And because he did that, we are a people who will always be free. We are a people when our lives are surrendered to him, we are restored to relationship with God, and we are free. Chains no longer hold us. It means we are not chained to our fears any longer. We must be a people who trust him and the words that he has spoken so we listen to him in the midst of all that we go through. And if you need prayer, I would encourage you to, you, know, you can write someone on the side of the live stream if you're watching on YouTube. You can send an email to connectedourelement.org if you'd like someone to pray with you because maybe you're in the midst of a lot of fear right now. And you want someone to pray with you through that so that your eyes would get back upon who the person of Christ is so you'd begin to listen to him more and more. Well, they'd love to pray with you about that. Let us know. You know, we are a people who give because God gave so much to us and you have that opportunity all the time to be able to give because God gave so much to you. You can give on our website. You can mail checks to us. Whatever. We just become a generous giving people because God has been so good to us. And I would encourage you this week to maybe talk to a few people if you're not in the gospel community, uh, talk to people in your gospel community if you are. You know, what things bring fear in your life? What things make you want to take your eyes off of Jesus and focus on your fear and not what God has actually said? You know, it goes back to those things about superstitions. And, and again, that right now, we've got a great example of it, which is COVID. We are all in the middle of this giant raging storm which seems like it wants to take down the ship of our lives as we're sailing where we think God wants us to go. Do we trust God in the midst of it? And if we do, let's be a people who listen to Him. And part of the way we do it is encouraging one another to listen to what God has said to us. Come alongside one another. Encourage each other. Because our God is good, and He is true, and He is faithful, and we must be a people who listen to him. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I ask that you would take us and move us to be a people who trust who you are. That when we say we believe in you, we actually believe in you in ways that change how we live. That we're not just trying to use you to make ourselves feel better but we are actually living in ways that honor you in all we say and all that we do. Father, right now, in the midst of our world, there is great fear. And fear so often blinds us to the love that you call us to. It blinds us to seeing you, and it stops up our ears from being able to hear your voice. And so I ask that you would take all those things that we are so afraid of right now, 
and have us begin to understand that you have trampled on them with your mighty horses. You have, you have said, shut it, be quiet, leave my people alone, and that we can trust who you are in the midst of the things that are so scary for us. Have us be a people who begin to behold your majesty and grace both, your power, that you are a God who doesn't leave us in the midst of our fear, but comes to rescue us where we are. Teach us to trust you and the hope that you bring so that we would then in turn be a people who live out in this world as your ambassadors, those who speak of your strength and speak of your glory and speak of your goodness to every single person we meet. Because we do not need to live in fear. We can live in the great understanding that our God has come to rescue and save us. Teach us to live in that great hope. And we ask that in your son's good name. Amen.